Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Four and a half years after their failure in Trinidad and Tobago, the United States is back in the World Cup. Mexico will join them there in Qatar, while Costa Rica will go to the Intercontinental Playoff against New Zealand. Our U.S. national team reporters Paul Tenorio and Sam Stace will take over the show today, but I'm Alex Abnos, and this is Soccer Every Day for Thursday, March 31st. A very kind listener wrote in to me uh, earlier tonight and said, uh, quote, I know soccer every day is forward looking and I appreciate that, but I wouldn't mind if I woke up tomorrow morning to 15 minutes of woo. We're not quite going to give you that. And it's true that we do normally try to be forward looking on this show, but the U.S. qualifying and Mexico qualifying, the end of qualifying really in this region, that's all really big news. And In addition to that, the factor of the matter is there just aren't that many games on TV today. So as such, today's show will feature a segment from Allocation Disorder, the podcast from Paul Tenorio and Sam Stasekel. Those guys were on the ground in San Jose, and they have been covering the U.S. men's national team at every game in World Cup qualifying so far. I'll send it over to them in a second. But first, as always, your TV guide for today, it's a short one, but a good one. Again, as usual, all times are Eastern, and really the only competition going today is the UEFA Women's Champions League. Good thing it's an amazing competition. The games yesterday were incredible to watch. We had 90-something thousand at the Camp Nou to watch Barcelona-Real Madrid, and that was a thriller with with just tons of great goals. Today, though, at 12.45 p.m., we have Wolfsburg versus Arsenal. That game is tied 1-1 on aggregate. And then at 3 p.m., Olympique Lyon versus Juventus. Juventus is leading 2-1 on aggregate in that one. Both of those games are for free on YouTube in the United States and in most of the world, really, via DAZN. Like I said, that's it. It's a short schedule today. I'll send it over to Paul and Sam in Costa Rica. The U.S. clinched. And they are back after four crappy years um, of, of dread and existential uh, malaise. They're back. Yeah. I mean, it was also like a weird night in that from the start to the finish. Because like on the U.S. side, all you need, needed to do was to avoid a six-goal loss. On the Costa Rica side, you're resting eight guys who are on yellow cards Three starters were sitting in front of us in the press box, Francisco Calvo, uh, Celso Borges, Keisha Fuller. And so it it already had this weird mood of like, what's the, what's the game going to be like? And then the U.S. lost. So there wasn't like a normal celebration, and at least right away. But by the time we got to see the players after 
the locker room celebration, you, you could see just how much it meant to these guys, how much it lifted that stress off of them, that burden of 2017 of Cuba, especially the guys that we got to talk to who had been on the field that day in Trinidad, Christian Pulisic and De- DeAndre Yedlin, who I Kellen thought Acosta. Kellen Acosta spoke a bit, um, who I thought were eloquent in speaking about it. And they, I mean, like both Yedlin and Christian Pulisic, when I was there, acknowledged like the awkwardness of not really wanting to celebrate a loss and then kind of having to just like remember to put their competitiveness aside and celebrate the big picture, right. which was like, you're going to a World Cup. Yeah. It's pass-fail in qualifying. We've talked about this before. And and it's easy to get fired up. And, and I apologize for my voice, by the way. It is completely shot. I promise I wasn't screaming at the stadium. I'm just... I think I'm, my body is just giving up on me after the after the octagonal is over. Your now. body knew it was at the finish line, too. <laughs> I know. I know. You might have to carry the show, Paul, because I'm struggling right now. But... You know, talking to these guys after the game, you know, we, we saw them on the field, and I don't know how much of this came through on the broadcast, but it was pretty chill after the final whistle. Like, Costa Rica was partying way harder than the U.S. on the field, right? You had Francisco Calvo sitting two rows in front of us in the press area. He didn't dress because they had yellow card stuff. He literally jumped on top of the table after Costa Rica's second goal, and he's, like, waving his shirt around and going nuts. He's down there on on the track behind the benches as the, the clock's winding down, kind of trying to pump up the crowd. And then the final whistle blows, and the U.S. just kind of walks out to midfield, just sort of like, okay, like, we're kind of pissed that we lost, but I guess we qualified. And Pulisic, I thought, was particularly interesting. Excuse me. Um, you know, he came out, he had a towel over his head. He's like sagging his shorts a little bit and he looked kind of down. And then Tyler Adams grabbed him. It was like, he said something to him like, dude, we did it. Like we're here. We did it. And and he sort of picked up a little bit after that, but then they got into the tunnel and that's where kind of the fun began. We weren't able to see any of that, but we did hear a lot about it afterwards uh, in the mix zone. Paul, walk the people through that so they don't have to hear this this gravel coming out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Yeah, we heard essentially that, yeah, once they hit that hallway and they were making their way to the locker room, that it started to hit them a little bit, you know, and that they started to talk to each other and say, hey, we're, we're, we're going to a World Cup. Like, we did it. And they go into the locker room and Greg Berhalter comes in to give a speech. And he's kind of trying to say, look, we're disappointed in the result, of course. We wanted to make history and be the first team to win in Costa Rica. We didn't accomplish that. But the big picture is we're going to the World Cup. We did accomplish our goal that we set. And we are the youngest team in this cycle globally to qualify for a World Cup. And we are the cool youngest stat, by the way. And we are the youngest team by average age in US men's national team history to qualify for a World Cup. And there's something to be said about that. And the funny part is, like while he's giving his speech in the middle of one of the sentences, pop champagne bottle gets popped before it's supposed to be. Eric Palmer Brown, a little bit of a premature celebration. And that kind of, I think, was like, you know, it kind of set the, it kind of set the tone in the sense of it, it relieved that. Broke the tension. It broke the tension, yeah. It relieved that sense of like, are we able to celebrate, are we not? And guys kind of laughed and joked and, and then the celebration commenced. And, and I think that's... Uh, you know, it speaks to kind of like the the competitiveness of this group and 
you know, what they wanted to accomplish in the short term in each and every game. Um, but I think also, you know, I, I like that. Um, I, I like that. I also kind of like, I don't know, it's not great for us, but like that, that celebration was theirs. Like we didn't get any bit of it. The media, <laughs> the fan, like we didn't see any yeah. bit of it until Christian Pulisic was live streaming on Instagram on the plane with the guys going back to Europe. Right. It was kind of their moment. It was their thing yeah. in that locker room. I think it's nice that they had that to themselves too. Um, although, you know, it would have made our jobs a little bit, I don't know, a little more colorful, our article perhaps. I still think it was pretty good, but whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, I think it's good that they had it to themselves. And I think it's good too that they that they had the reaction that they did. It's sort of a recognition that like, hey, like this this is important and it's cool and it's a good accomplishment and we need to celebrate that. But it's also that like there are bigger things that this team wants, right? They're not going to be satisfied with just going to the World Cup. And who knows what, what the draw will look like. That's on Friday in Qatar, you know, painting a little bit of the picture for you guys, like Greg Berhalter and, and Michael Cameraman, the USMNT press officer, and, and I think several other people on staff at the U.S. soccer. They, like, had to hustle out of Costa Rica. Like, in fact... Um, we were sort of instructed like, Hey, Greg has to go quick to Qatar to catch a flight. So like the press conference with him is not going to be very long. And so they were like basically running out of the stadium, down the tunnel through the little loading dock area that we were in and out onto a, I don't know if it was a bus or an SUV or what. And they're going, they're flying from Costa Rica. Like I think they're in the air right now, probably on the way to JFK in New York and then over to Qatar. So, you know, the work doesn't stop for them. Um, but I thought it was cool that they had that moment to themselves. I thought it was cool that they reacted the way that they did, honestly. Um, and we'll see how it all shakes out eight months from now. You know, a lot will change between now and then. As a young team, a lot changes for young teams really fast. And I think on that note, Paul, it's, it's important to kind of look back and reflect over this qualifying cycle, over the last seven months, and even beyond that, to the Gold Cup and the Nations League, and everything that came before it, because this has been a real journey over the last four and a half years for the national team. It was bleak for a, a long time after Kuva. It wasn't just like that moment, you know? It was the Dave Saracenera, and, and he, I thought, did a nice job given the hand that he was dealt. But there was no direction for the team for a long time. And then it, it took a while under Burhalter, and it's still not perfect, right? Um, but they have come a long way. And, you know, I think it's fair to be hopeful for what they might do in November and maybe even December in the Middle East. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's been a process. And that process did start under Dave Sarikin in 2018. You know, his task as an interim manager wasn't an enviable one. He took over a team at a time when the Federation was dealing with the failure to get to the World Cup. And there was a lot of change happening behind the scenes and above him. Not really even behind the scenes. It was very, very visible, right? A new president, Carlos Cadero, was elected. Sunil Gulati stepped down, kind of was, was asked to step down, essentially. Uh, Dan Flynn, the CEO, announced that he would be stepping down for health reasons and retirement, essentially. Uh, Ernie Stewart was, was hired as sporting director in a process that took a while, and, and then he started the coaching search, and through all of that, this men's national team was trying to transition to move forward. No coach had been hired, and Dave Sarakin was giving debuts left and right. I think 23 guys he gave debuts to, and that included guys like Tim 
Tim Weah, Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, Josh Sargent, uh, important players. And in one way, in some ways, that was a lost year. In other ways, it wasn't. I think it certainly didn't allow the team to move forward, to your point, and to have direction. And Greg Berhalter took over in 2019, and and that's really when you can start moving forward because there is a vision. There is a coach that can say, okay, this is how we move forward. But it wasn't perfect. And we saw them go through growing pains. We, We wrote about it. We were covering it. Whether it was the losses to Mexico in the Gold Cup final and the friendly, the loss to Canada in the Nations League, those had real impacts on on this team, what what they were about, and the way they were going to play, and how Greg Berhalter approached everything. And not to go through every little bit of it, but you know, I think that this team that we saw tonight, even in a loss, but certainly the team that we saw in this window was a reflection of all of that. It was a reflection of the bad moments. It was a reflection of the good moments. And the growth that's occurred within this group has been significant. And yeah, I mean, Greg Berhalter talked about it tonight. I mean, eight months in soccer is an eternity. This team can grow a ton between now and Qatar. Whether it's a guy like Serginio Dest growing at Barcelona, whether it's someone like Josh Sargent, who wasn't here in this window, potentially growing and fighting for a number nine spot, whether it's some guy we're not even talking about that ends up becoming a part of the national team group over the next eight months. You know, there is still so much evolution that can occur. Think about where this national team was eight months ago. Yeah. Conrad De La Fuente was starting the opening qualifier. I mean, shoot, they were just coming out of the summer, right? I mean, John Brooks. It wasn't that long ago that they had, we were talking about have they even accomplished anything you know, before the Nations League and Gold Cup Finals. So much has happened since June of last year. It, it's just crazy, especially with the team this young, how much, how much this team still has to change and grow between now and the World Cup Tournament in November. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Yeah, and, you know, Burhalter and some of the players talked about how much growth there already has been, right? And, and I want to spend some time here, Paul. We have a story that's coming out. Um, by the time you listen to this, it'll probably be out already. Um, kind of looking back at the whole journey from Cuba to Qatar. And for me, one of the main big, huge turning points, there were a couple of them. One was Canada in the Nations League in Toronto in October 2019 and the loss that they took there. But I think the biggest one was really Honduras away in San Pedro Sula back in September. And and for those who, who don't remember perfectly, and I'm sure many of you do, you know, the U.S. had entered qualifying talking about, oh, we're going to get nine points from this first window. 
and then they go and they draw in El Salvador. It wasn't a particularly good performance, not a bad result, but not a very good game. Um, they draw again at home against Canada, uh, not a good performance again and not a good result drawing at home. And then they go down to, to Honduras and, and Berhalter changed the formation. It was a weird lineup. It was a bad lineup. And he got the choices wrong initially. And they were down 1-0 at halftime. And it sort of felt like the world was closing in on them. And um, I mean, Paul, like we put this in the piece. There was a U.S. soccer employee up in the press box screaming down at the referee on the field in the first half of that game. That is not a normal thing that happens. We were sitting at each other up in the press box there and like, we were like almost yelling. Like we were like, what the hell is going on out there? Like, what are they doing? What is this lineup? Blah, blah, blah. blah. I remember my stomach doing, cause you, you start to think about how quickly things could be going wrong. Right. That, right. At that moment, it was like, how bad is this going to be if they lose? Yeah. And it, and, and the, the reality was really bad. You yeah. know, the conversation around the team would have changed dramatically. Yeah. It's not as if they would have been, you know, out or eliminated or anything. It was three games in at that point and, and 11 to go. There was plenty of time left to get points. But the discourse would have been, I mean, to use a word that has been floating around the USMNT Twitter over the last week, it would have been toxic, like legitimately so. And, and Weston McKenney got kicked out of that camp because he broke COVID protocols and violated team rules, and there was just so much drama. It was so emotional. Like, I remember that camp. We weren't out there running around, man, but we were tired. Like, there was so much happening. Um, and I think it took a toll on the team, and I think they approached it, and they said this this week. They approached it kind of naively. They didn't really know what they were getting into. And we saw that in El Salvador and against Canada and, again, in Honduras. But then that second half happens, and everything changes, right? It's like flip gets switched, switch gets flipped. There we go. There it is. One in the morning, flip gets switched. Whatever. You know what I mean. Um, and they come out, and, and Burhalter switches back to a 4-3-3, and they make three changes at halftime, and they score four goals in the second half, and all of a sudden they're off and running, right? And, and from then on, it wasn't easy, but it was a lot more straightforward, and it certainly wasn't anywhere nearly as complicated as it was over those first three matches. And... uh you know, it's pretty remarkable to think how much the team has changed from that point to now, especially in this last window. And I think, I don't know, do you want to talk about that? How, yeah. What this last window, especially the first well, two games of it, went like? First, I'd like to say in the story, there are some really cool quotes about those moments. I don't want to go too much into it because I do want people to read the story, but some insight into the locker room at halftime and just some cool, cool moments with that the players shared that impacted this team along the way. Um but for me, Sam, before even going to the last window, I mean, I, I want to pull back or, or zoom in, I guess, and look at the night a little bit. I know the result in the game weren't that important. I'm not even trying to go into that. Though I will say that it was probably one of the greatest moments I've had as a journalist to be here, uh, to have to go through the anthems as a Costa Rican-American. Save that for later. Let's talk about that cool, more in depth like, later. Yeah. The, the atmosphere was nuts. It was a great, it was a great game yeah. for the home fans yeah um but i just i think that like i want to go back to just kind of what people were talking about after the game because that i think that factors into everything which is like a real recognition that some of these guys have been playing against uh, together since they were 13 and 14 years old yeah tyler adams talked about how christian Pulisic, it's not just football between the two of them they go back to residency with the 17s 
Yeah. And Tim Weah talked about playing with guys, the 13s and the 14s, with James Sands on the regional team. Yeah, and Tyler Adams as well. And yeah. Tyler Adams as well. There are connections in this team that run really deep. And they believe, this group believes, that that factors in to their ability to get through things like the first game at Azteca. Mm-hmm. and to handle the pressure going into that game against Panama knowing you need a win. And it's not just the guys who play together as youngins, right? Tim Weah and DeAndre Yedlin gave the best press conference of the whole Ocho. <laughs> it was the amazing. Whole Ocho, talking also, about- just one second. We got to shout out our boy Danny Nora from Tudene <laughs> because they're talking about a boombox. And, and for some reason, they didn't have a proper boombox on the USMNT until this camp. It was like they had a small speaker. They didn't have a big one. So they couldn't really hear it in a lot of the locker rooms they were in, and they finally got a big one. And so somebody started asking about what kind of music they played. And Danny Nora, who is a massive reggaeton guy, he's like, do you play reggaeton? And, and Tim Weah, he lists off a few artists. And then he's like, what about Bad Bunny? Do you play Bad Bunny? And Tim Weah is just like, yeah, man, I play all that. <laughs> it's very serious. Well, what happened was, hilarious what happened was you, me, Michele, and Danny – all at once asked what about Peppas because Peppas has kind of, kind of been a thing for the four of us as a yeah. group. It brought us together. I mean, yeah, I was in Nashville. You were in El Salvador with the two of them. It's a beautiful moment. And it brought us together. But regardless, those two talked about how close they've become with this national team and how DeAndre Yedlin took Tim Weah under his wing and how Tim Weah became really close with DeAndre and his girlfriend and his daughter. And what stood out to me about the quotes after tonight's game and the quotes this week and the little moments that we see between these players at training sessions and after games and when they're around each other, when we have access to them is like, and, and in the interviews we did for this piece that's running on Thursday, this is a super tight knit group and there has been a real effort towards fostering that and encouraging it and trying to make sure it got it, it maintained over zoom calls because of COVID and, you know, over the course of qualifying that guys stuck together. And I don't think you can talk about this night. I don't think you can talk about what happened in Mexico or Orlando without acknowledging that that played a big part of it. Yeah. Especially, especially that Mexico game. Yeah. Right. Cause that was a fight. Um, they were struggling physically at the end of it. But they got out of there, they survived, and they could have easily had all three, as we talked about on a couple of shows ago. We don't need to go back down that road. You know, Paul, I thought the the best quote I ever got about like the togetherness or whatever they call it, the togetherness of the group, was from Paul Ariola. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke to him, and, and he was like, you know, I'm sure all the fans, and I know you guys are like really sick of hearing about it, but we keep saying it because it's true. Like This is kind of like a real brotherhood to us. And that's not something I don't think that's been the case with national teams of the past all of the time. Um, and I think it's important, right? I think it, that helps you carry you through the tough moments. I was talking to somebody who kind of said that it, it had been a part of the national teams for like a, te- a decade-long period, you know, starting with that 2002 team. And that it, it was lost during the Jurgen era was, was the kind of attitude of people who have been around this program for the last few years who were around the program then who you know were around it even before that when you talk to people who have been around it that that was something that was lost in this team and 
it's been regained and I think it's been kind of taken to the next level by the fact that this group is a lot of this group is so young. And so they are literally growing up together as a national team. I mean, again, not to just belabor the point, but for some of them, since they were 13, 14 years old, for all of them, almost all of them going through their first ever qualifying cycle together, their experiences together, and learning on the go, learning on the fly, and trying to lean on guys like Christian Pulisic and DeAndre Yedlin and Paul Ariola, who had been there before, Kellen Acosta. There weren't that many guys you could go to. Um, and that was also a really cool thing about this week, Sam, is kind of hearing the quotes and how they contrasted with each other. The interview you did with Brendan Aronson about his experiences in Honduras and in El Salvador and learning what that first cycle, the first window was going to be like. And then contrasting that with the quote from DeAndre Yedlin when he talked about being like, I knew we were going to have a rough go in September. I knew you had to experience it to really, truly understand and it was just funny to me because it was like there isn't – I mean those quotes were perfect to contrast against each other because it shows that this is something that can't be discussed and talked about and applied to the next game. Yeah. Like you have to live it a little bit. Yeah. And, and that's what this national team has done through this whole process. And that's why mm-hmm. those moments like the disappointment of – you know, the the loss in Panama or the loss in Canada were important. And even, you know, even going to El Salvador, I mean, playing in El Salvador in the first game of qualification couldn't have been the, it's the worst time to get El Salvador. It was their first game in a, the final round of World Cup qualifying in like 20 a years. A decade, yeah. Yeah. And so they needed to experience that. And I think that I, I kind of lo- I don't want to say I like it because it's not I mean that's not the right way to put it, but it's kind of <laughs> fitting that they lost tonight. It's kind of fitting that it was like an imperfect end to qualification, yeah. Because it's been an imperfect qualification cycle, and but all of those imperfections are a part of this team and their growth process. That note you said about experience, and I think we'll take a break after this because we've been going pretty long in this first segment. That really stuck struck a chord with me because. The one thing this team has not experienced as of yet is an actual World Cup, right? And this is a group that's still developing as players and still coming together as a team. They're still really young. They still haven't had a ton of time together. And when you look at kind of the best national teams in the world, they've been playing together for a while, a lot of them, right? And this group, they've been playing together for a while, but like as kids, like as literal children, right? And now they're coming together as a senior team really for the first time. And I think that they will probably have some issues in Qatar because of that. Um, I think I'm more hopeful than I was a week ago about what they'll do in World Cup because of what we saw from Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna in this window. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, not to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but I think the real prize on the line for this team is 2026. And I'm really, really interested and excited and curious to see how this team grows, not just in the next eight months, but in the next four years before that home World Cup, because what an opportunity that will be for these guys as they're most, if not all, entering or in the middle of their primes. Um, That'll be a really cool possibility. Hey 
you want to hear more from this episode of Allocation Disorder, you can check out the show, Allocation Disorder. You can search for it on The Athletic. It's also part of the Total Soccer Show feed wherever you listen to podcasts. This show is produced by Mike Zimmerman with help from John Hayes. You can get ad-free versions of the show by subscribing to The Athletic, and you can subscribe for $1 a month for six months by going to theathletic.com slash soccer every day. Thank you so much for listening, and happy soccer to you all. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.